Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing that God has given us this opportunity to join together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to praise Him as our Father. Now to open His Word together. If your Bibles aren't already open to Acts chapter 17, please turn them there with me now. Um, God's Word is what has the power to, to nourish us, to equip us, uh, to transform us into who He wants us to be. So that's where we want the focus to be. Doctrinal differences abound in the religious world at large. Uh, and even among those that we might consider to be brethren, there are very different perspectives at times on what God's word teaches regarding certain issues. Why, why is that? Does God's word really present so many different ideas uh, about what we teach and practice? Well, I think we recognize that if, if there's doctrinal differences among us, God's word is not at fault. Uh, God's word is not responsible for division. If there are doctrinal differences, ultimately we have to accept the fact that we're to blame. Uh, doctrinal differences are ultimately the product of people trying, whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, to mold God's word to fit our own personal perspective, our, our own values, or our own uh, prior beliefs. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been guilty of that. It's extremely hard and it's a challenge that we need to face to come to God's word honestly, to come to God's word not simply looking to affirm what we already believe or what we're looking to, to find. In Acts 17, I think this passage helps challenge our perspective because it presents to us three different perspectives of those in Thessalonica, those in Athens later on that we haven't gotten to uh, in the reading, and those in Berea. Those who were uh, clinging to what was old, those who were simply grasping for something new and exciting, and those who held fast to the truth. And so as we look at the brethren in Thessalonica, uh, or, or the people rather, uh, that were preached to in Thessalonica, to Athens, and in the Berea, I want us to ask the question, which one describes us? What describes our attitude and approach to the scriptures? Because only one out of these three attitudes ultimately received the salvation and hope of the gospel. First of all, I want us to consider the, the Jews in Thessalonica. As Jonathan read, there were those who received the word, but I want to speci specifically focus in on those that are spoken of here in verses 5 and 6. We saw, see that some are resistant to any type of change. Notice what happens in verse 5 and 6 of Acts chapter 17. It says, But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Do you notice what their battle cry uh, against these brethren is? Do you notice what their outrage is about? It's not these brethren, these people are, are preaching something that's false. They're preaching something that's wrong. They're, they're guiding the people away from the Lord. It's they've turned the world upside down. <laughs> this isn't what we're used to. This isn't what we're comfortable with. Uh, they're upsetting our way of life. We see that 
sometimes we might be so comfortable with things exactly the way that they are that we don't want anybody to come in and do anything, teach anything, even if it be from the scriptures that would uh, upset our way of life, that would upset uh, or change the status quo, that would rock the boat in any way. So anything that's new to our mind, anything that is, is different to what we're used to, anything that would require change can be quickly rejected. These are more concerned about being comfortable than being right with the Lord. Tradition becomes a higher virtue than truth. We see a warning about this mindset as well in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10. We're told, do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Have you heard that before uh, maybe you yourself out of your own mouth have talked about the, the good old days when things were, were much better than they are. Today, he, he warns us, be careful about thinking that way because that is not according to wisdom. You know, sometimes I look at our society today, I look at some of the, the newer problems that we're facing as a society, and I think, well, wouldn't it have been so much better uh, if I had been born into the world, you know, 50, 60 years earlier, um, you know, back in the days when, when um, we were, as a country, more generally morally conservative. But God's word tells me, no, that, that's not according to wisdom. No, our world, our society has always been broken. Now, maybe it's being broken in some different ways than it was back then. But there is no culture uh, no time in history, no time in society that, that is a safe pattern. The world is never a safe pattern for our service to the Lord. And there's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes tells us. Ultimately, there, the, sin, the, the world was just as sinful, just as broken, perhaps in different ways. Uh, then as it is now. And so, brethren, the road to holiness, the road to, to purity, to morality and truth is not a road that goes backwards. It's a road that goes upwards, that looks towards the God of heaven. And so we need to be careful that our hearts don't become so attached to the good old days, to how we are used to things being, how we are comfortable with things being, that we neglect the ancient of days who is the standard. Ultimately, God's word should turn the world upside down, no matter what culture, no matter what time period we live in. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may improve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're not to be conformed or molded by this world, even things in this world that we might deem to be good and conservative and, and comfortable. He says we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God's will, rather, needs to break the mold of our society, what we're comfortable with, what we're used to, and remold us into his image and after his will and his character. The world is not a safe pattern for us. This was true in the first century. It was true during the time of the Puritans in the 16th and 17th century. It was true in the 1950s and 60s, and it is true today. No popular culture, old or new, has ever been a safe pattern 
for us to mold our lives by. God seeks to turn our world upside down and inside out. And that's ultimately what conversion is, right? When we come to the Lord, we are to put our old man behind us. It requires a change. It requires a willingness to put the old self behind. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24 Paul says, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We cannot be converted. We cannot become disciples if we're not willing to put the old things behind us even the old things that we might deem to be good. We need to be very careful that as we come to the scriptures, as we talk about what it is we teach, what it is we practice, if, if we ever hear ourselves saying, well, when I was growing up, fill in the blank, or in, in the church that, that I was a part of, or what I've always heard, or how we've always done things, or, you know, Preacher so-and-so always said, wait a second, where's our standard? What are we measuring by? Now, maybe they were going by God's word. If so, then let's just cut that part out and go straight to God's word. If we want to be who God wants us to be, it requires change. To be converted, we are going to have to allow God to transform us by his word. You ultimately cannot be a Christian without change. And that doesn't just apply to some of us. That doesn't just apply to those who who grew up with worldly families and worldly lifestyles as we would deem it. It applies to every single one of us. We all, if we are going to come to Christ, have to allow him to transform our thinking, no matter what it's been trained by. And ultimately, you cannot have growth without change. Notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, let's read together in verse 13 and 14. Here Paul says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here, Paul's attitude uh, is that he is forgetting the things that lie behind there in verse 13 and straining forward to what lies ahead. When you think about Paul, I I think maybe when when we first hear that verse, it, it might be natural for us to think about the bad things in Paul's past. He used to persecute the church, right? In the context of Philippians 3, that's really not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the bad things in his past primarily. In fact, he's talking about the good things in his past. There was a time where he had great standing among the Jews. He had so many things working for him. But we read back in verse 7 and 8, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It doesn't matter what what our past has been. It doesn't matter what good things we had in the past. 
That's not the standard. And if we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to mature the way that we need to, we need the attitude of Paul. Who, even at this point in his life, I'm sure we would consider him to be a very mature Christian, but his attitude is, I'm forgetting the things that lie behind, and I'm constantly reaching forward to what lies ahead. That requires change. That requires that I don't just become comfortable with where I'm at, and that becomes the standard from now on. It requires that I be willing to let God's word change me day by day, year by year. You know, have you ever gone up an escalator and kept one foot firmly planted at the bottom? <laughs> what, what would that do? Well, it wouldn't work very well, would it? You, you can't grow, you can't move upwards and onwards if you're keeping one foot firmly planted where you started. Brethren, if we're going to grow spiritually, that means I'm going to have to constantly be challenging what I believe in my service to the Lord. Constantly challenging whether or not this is genuinely what God's word is teaching. And so if we're going to grow individually, we need to be willing to abandon some old habits. Abandon some old ways of thinking. Get outside of our comfort zone. I think about uh, Peter in Acts chapter 10. Peter, throughout his entire life, had been taught, I'm not going to eat anything common or unclean. I'm not going to associate with Gentiles. And God comes to him, and he shows him this vision of these animals and the sheet coming down, and he says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Where's Peter's standard? Well, that's not, that's not what I'm used to. That's not what I've done. Well, what does God say? We need to recognize that as we grow, it may be that there are things that, that we have been comfortable with, things that we believe are, are what is correct in our service of the Lord, but as we come to the scripture, God reveals to us that there's some change that needs to take place in my thinking. Am I willing to do that? Am I genuinely allowing God's word to be my standard, or is it simply my way of thinking that has become the standard? Growth means that sometimes we have to admit that we were wrong. Matthew chapter 15, we see the example of the Pharisees who had begun to teach as doctrine the commandments of men. And God says their worship was worthless, was vain. They were no longer seeking him. They were no longer had hearts that were uh, seeking to be pleasing to the Lord. They were rather allowing their own traditions, their own thoughts to become the standard. Their traditions became their doctrine. Brethren, if we're more attached to our personal traditions and culture than God's word, we cannot call ourselves Christians. We cannot grow spiritually, and we certainly cannot be pleasing to the Lord. Well, let's look at another end of the extreme here. As we continue back in Acts chapter 17, later on in this passage, past what Jonathan read for us, we see that Paul comes to the city of Athens. And notice, I, I want to actually read verse 19 through 21 here. It says of the people of Athens, and they took him, Paul, and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. 
Why is it that the Athenians are interested in hearing what Paul said? Is it, well, maybe this is true. Maybe we haven't understood things before and, and we need to change. Well, no, it seems more, this sounds interesting. This is going to be exciting. We haven't heard something like this before. That's what we're looking for. We need to be very careful uh, that our standard doesn't become always seeking for something new and exciting either. We, we can uh, agree with the first point and say, yep, we don't want to be like those Thessalonians. We don't want to be like those people that are just stuck in their ways. And yet we can go to the opposite extreme of constantly searching for something that is new, something that's different. Certainly what I've been practicing before, what my parents were teaching, you know, what, what all those older brethren were teaching, that can't be true. I need to find something new and exciting. Brother, we, we live in somewhat of a disposable society. Uh, you, you buy a phone, you spend a lot of money on it, and two, three, four years later, all of a sudden it's out of date. We need to get rid of that one and get a new one. Our, our computers, uh, within five, six years, whatever it might be, uh, oh, this one's out of date, doesn't do all the fancy things that these new computers do. I better get one of those. And sometimes we even allow that to get into other areas of our life. Uh, you know, I, I get married, uh, and that's exciting, that's new, but, oh, well, now it's not as exciting as it was at first. Maybe I need to go out and get a new one. Our society has become trained in always seeking something new, something exciting. Things get old, and we need to find some new excitement in our lives. It's easy to get disenchanted and seek out uh, something else uh, of greater value. But many are satisfied with whatever will give them momentary excitement. And sometimes that may be new religion, new religious ideas. And Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel chapter 33, um, I don't have this on the screen, but verse 31 and 32 uh, talks about the attitude of the people and listening to Ezekiel's preaching. They say here in verse 31, Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. The people weren't closing their ears to Ezekiel's preaching. In fact, the people were kind of excited about listening to Ezekiel's preaching. But they were just excited to because he was kind of eccentric and he was kind of different and it was exciting to see what he was going to say. That was great. Let's go home and do whatever we want now. Um, is that the way that we approach God's word? We, we just want the momentary excitement uh, of whatever new idea might be coming and yet we're not genuinely seeking to allow it to have its effect within our life. Ezekiel's preaching required response, commitment, and obedience. And when they realized that, his message got old pretty quickly. We see the same concept in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Timothy is instructed here, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What does it mean to preach the word in season 
and out of season. Is God's word ever out of season? Well, to the world's perspective, it might be. Uh, to the people that are hearing, uh, you know, well, that was last season's message. Uh, we're, we're ready for season two. We, we need to change it up a little bit. God says, no, you continue to preach the word. Uh, and there are going to come times where people are having itching ears for something else. Uh, I've, I've seen this episode before. I, I, wanna, I want season two. <laughs> and yet, if we're being faithful to the Lord, we need to make sure that we're not having that attitude of, of, of seeking out something that will fill our desires, something that will bring excitement to us. What should excite us most is making sure that we're pleasing in the Lord's sight. Is biblical Christianity just a season of our life? Do we find ourselves growing restless of the same old preaching, the same old worship? We need to make sure that we don't grow tired of the truth of God's word, that we don't grow tired with the will of God, with submission to his authority. Biblically speaking, we must hold fast to divine traditions. Jeremiah chapter 6 Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Notice what Jeremiah is told to preach here. He says, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. We're called to go back to the ancient paths. Now, let's not get the wrong idea. That doesn't mean go back to the 1950s. <laughs> that doesn't mean go back to my childhood. That means go back to the ancient of days. But that requires that we're not constantly looking for something new and exciting. That means we're going back to what God has told us within his word. The moral principles by which we should be guarded are ultimately as old as time itself. Because they have their origin in the eternal God. The problem with many traditionalists is not that they want to go back to the past. It's that they don't want to go far enough. Uh, remember in Matthew 19 and verse 8 when Jesus is asked about divorce. Um, he said, Moses allowed that, but from the beginning it was not so. We're ultimately going back to the character of God and his standard. Um, you know, to many Jews, Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was a liberal to the Jews. But in another sense, he was more conservative than anyone. <laughs> he was going back to the Lord, to his standard. And so whatever time period we live in, our goal is not to be a conservative or to be a liberal. Jesus, as we said, in his society would have been pegged a liberal. Our goal is to go back to God himself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul says to these brethren, Stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Paul says, you better hold fast, stand firm in the divine traditions, the traditions that we passed down to you. Just as tradition itself is not a safe place for us to pitch our tent, um, non-traditional 
being anti-tradition is not a safe position either. Because there are traditions, there are divine traditions that we must hold fast to. In fact, later on in the same book, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, Keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. So yes, there are traditions Traditions that go back to the gospel, that go back to God's revelation within the New Testament, that do uh, need to be things that we are holding fast to and standing firm in. And our salvation, our position in the Lord's church is contingent on whether or not we are holding fast to those traditions. And so, as we think about the heart of the Athenians that were constantly looking for something new, we need to recognize that outward excitement cannot compensate for wrong hearts. Think about the brethren in Corinth for a moment. You know, Corinth had a pretty lively and exciting service. Um, you never knew exactly what was going to happen in Corinth. Uh, we, we see that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But notice in 1 Corinthians 13 how Paul addresses this issue. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You may have great gifts. You may you know, be speaking with the, the tongue of angels, he says. Um, and yet, if this isn't being done by genuine lo- love for the Lord and love for our brethren, then it doesn't matter how exciting it was. It doesn't matter how great it looked to other people. Um, you know, we may feel sometimes like, like traditional Christianity just becomes kind of lifeless and dry and mundane, singing the same old songs, uh, doing the same old thing week after week. And maybe sometimes there's some truth in that. Maybe we've lost our passion, but what we need to realize is that the solution is to change our hearts. The solution isn't to change the outward form to make it something more exciting to us. No, the the solution is to get back to the heart of who God wants us to be and to sing those songs, making melody in our hearts, to partake of the Lord's Supper genuinely and passionately thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. If it's becoming mundane, if it's becoming lifeless, it's not that we, we need to do something new and exciting and different. We need to stick to the traditions of the scripture, but we need to put our heart fully in it. The problem is not traditional worship or traditional teaching. The problem is our hearts. And so, just as we can't make old things, traditional things, a safe place to to, um, stand firm in, we neither can put new things and exciting things as a place that we are going to um, place our standard. But we see in Acts 17, there's a different approach, the approach of the Bereans. We see here that their priority is not what is old, nor is it what is new. Their priority is what is true. Look in Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 12. 
It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. What was their approach? They say, okay, is this what we've been hearing in the synagogue before? Is, is this what our forefathers taught? Uh, if not, then, then we're not going to have anything to do with that. No, that wasn't their standard. Did they say, well, you know, does this sound exciting? Does this sound like it'll be fun? Uh, is this something new that we haven't heard of before? No, that wasn't the standard either. We see that they search the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Brethren, is that our heart? Is that our attitude that we are willing to diligently and eagerly examine everything based on God's revealed will within the scriptures? Do we want the truth? People with this focus are the only ones who are ultimately going to find the truth and receive the saving and sanctifying power of the gospel. John 7 and verse 17, Jesus says, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Why is it that we have so many doctrinal differences, that people are teaching so many different things? Jesus says, if you are genuinely committed to doing his will, you will know of the teaching whether or not it's from God. God didn't make his word so confusing that we just can't find out what his will is. Now, it's something we have to grow in, but if we have that heart of genuinely seeking to be pleasing to the Lord, God will show us within his word what it is that he desires of us. Brethren, are we willing to sacrifice our desires, our comfort zone, to pursue the truth? If we found out today that God, within his word, wanted everybody to wear green shirts when they come on Sunday, would we do it? If we found out that, that God wanted us, instead of meeting at, at 1 and 2 p.m., to meet at midnight as a church, would we do it? If we found out that, that from now on we had to eat a diet of only vegetables and water, would we do it? If we found out that we needed to sell all of our possessions and move to Nigeria, would we do it? I'm not saying that any of those things are in the scripture. I tried to make some of them ridiculous enough that we realized that wasn't what I was saying. But brethren, what if we find out that there's something that is much, much different than what we've been doing that is what God desires for us to do within the scriptures? Would we do it? If we have the kind of heart that God desires of us, then we are willing to do whatever he says. Brethren, we must never sacrifice truth for personal preference or opinion because the truth is too valuable. Proverbs 23 and verse 23, we're told, buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. We live in a society that does not value truth very much, that values preference, uh, personal opinion much more. We're told we're to buy truth and not sell it for anything. We should not sell truth 
for the sake of tolerance, not sell truth for the sake of peace, not sell it for the sake of personal emotions and feelings, not sell it for recognition of men, not sell it to get more people in the door. We need to hold fast to truth. Because truth is essential to our salvation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, it talks about those who will perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. If we aren't people who love the truth, we will not be saved. John chapter 8 verse 32 says, You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Truth equals salvation. Truth equals freedom from oppression, from guilt, from the consequences, eternal consequences of our sins. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Brethren, if we don't have truth, we don't have Jesus. If we want the Lord, if we want to be walking in his way, then we need to be people who are committed to truth. No matter how it compares to how I've been living, to what I've been taught, to what I would like to do, and what I would like to hear. Is it the truth? Is it what God has revealed to us in his word? I, I want to end with an illustration. I, imagine for a moment that you're driving along a mountain road. And on one side, you have a sheer drop-off. Uh, and on the other side, you have oncoming traffic zooming by. You know, how are we going to handle that situation? Well, some of us might say, there is no way I'm following over that cliff. And so I'm going to get as far to the left as I can here, make sure that I don't fall off. Well, you might just get hit by oncoming traffic. Some others might see, well, that traffic, they're zooming by really fast. I'm going to get as far over here as possible to make sure I don't get hit. Well, you might just fall off the side of the cliff. What's the solution? You make sure you stay in between those lines. That's the solution. So many times it's easy for us to react to whether or not something is comfortable. It's what we've heard before. And so we're going to get as far away from these kind of uncomfortable teachings uh, and we're going to cling to things that are comfortable, that are traditional, that, that we've always heard. Or sometimes we see the danger of holding fast to tradition and that we, we don't want to become like the Pharisees. And so we're going to seek something new and exciting and different. Certainly it can't be anything that, that my parents taught or that their generation taught. Well, brethren, we can't react to either of those. We, we're going to fall off the other side. The solution is that everything that I do, everything that I teach, everything that I practice, I find within the words of the scriptures. Is it what God has told me? That's the standard. And so as we discuss doctrinal differences, even as, as we're seeking to grow together, let's make sure that that's our standard. What does God's word say? If we want to be a group of people that are pleasing to him, then we need to be committed to the truth. Which of these describes you today? Are you committed and drawn to that which is old, that which is new, or the truth? I hope it's our goal here to be committed to the truth. And if there is any area that we need to change, 
that you recognize that, that we are not abiding within the truth, then we want to talk about that. And we want to change. We want to be who God wants us to be. We want to make any change necessary to further the work and the will of the Lord among us. And yet we want to hold fast and stand firm in the divine traditions of God's word. Uh, If you see any area that we need to change, please let us know. And if you see an area today in your own heart that you need to change, won't you make that change? Won't you make it right with the Lord? If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, coming back to him, if you need to confess sin before these brethren and ask for their prayers, uh, if you need to commit your life to the Lord for the first time, confessing your belief in Jesus as the Son of God and bearing your old man of sin in the waters of baptism, by his grace and the power of the resurrection, you can start a new life today. If there's any way that we can help you in your service to the Lord, won't you make it known at this time as we stand and sing together?